In 2 Timothy chapter 2, you don't have to turn there. Just going to talk about one verse before we turn this over. Uh, The Apostle Paul, we've been talking about Paul and Timothy in the book of Acts and how Timothy had joined them in Lystra and was traveling along and no doubt learning a great deal uh, about walking with the Lord, learning how to lead God's people. He would eventually end up being the pastor at the church of Ephesus. Uh, And we'll get to that when we (laughs) see where Paul swings from Corinth up to Ephesus before he concludes this second journey. At any rate, Paul wrote to Timothy a couple of letters. And in the second letter, he exhorted Timothy uh, towards a particular end. And he says, look, I want you to commit these things, the things of God, the things of God's word, to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Uh, I'm blessed that uh, the Lord has brought faithful men into this body. Uh, someone that I've been, uh, I've been watching for the last six months since yeah, he came in is, is Mason, uh, George Fox student. Uh, Mason Bernard, he's the son of a pastor. Uh, his grandfather was a well-known pastor in Southern California, and he simply aspires, as the, the word says, I don't believe he is ambitious. I believe that he is aspiring, and he has a godly aspiration uh, towards the ministry. And so I've invited Mason to come and share with us, and so without me babbling on any longer, I'm going to turn it over and have Mason come up. Mason, do you need a podium, or is this Okay. All right. So let's welcome Mason. Well, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, turn with me to the book of Philippians, if you will, with your Bible or your device, either one, whichever works, whichever gets you the word of the Lord today. That's all you need. So we've been looking at Philippians right now. We've been in Philippi and now Paul is leaving Philippi and just so happened that I got this message today, so it perfectly lines up right at the end of Philippi. So, um, so going into a bit of the context of what's going on behind this book and a little bit of Philippi, because we looked at it. So Paul and, and his company of uh, the other three, the big three, along with Paul, uh, they traveled to Macedonia because of God's calling, because they had the original plan of going into Asia and then looping back around back to where they started but God said, no, I have a better plan. I'm going to do a new thing. So he calls them to go around Asia and go to Macedonia to reach the gospel, to put, preach the gospel into Europe for the first time, which would cause an explosion of the gospel being preached to the ends of the world. And so it reaches the gospel for the first time, and Paul has his plan, but God had a different plan. And I think Isaiah 43, 19 is a good verse that kind of puts it in that way, because Paul had his plan, but God said, no, I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to be doing a new thing for you. So, so Lydia is the first convert, and she gets turned. She believes in the Lord. She believes in Him, and then Paul casts out the spirit of divination and the slave girl, and then they, and then their owners come up to him, and they get all mad, and they're sort of blabbling to the magistrates. So they get thrown into prison, the inner prison. The worst part with, they get tortured, they get beaten, they get all this stuff happening to them. There's all this. It's an awful place to be in, and yet they come into the place with rejoicing of the Lord. They come in rejoicing the Lord with joy of being there and just 
for some unknown reason, I don't know why anyone would be joyful in that moment, but for some reason, Paul and Silas were being joyful. And they were singing praises of the Lord, and then the earthquake came, brought down the walls, and the jailer thought, this is it. This is the end of the line for me. I might as well take my life now. And then Paul, he says, no, no one is left yet. We're all still here. And then they, he gets converted, and he believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that, that's what happens in Philippi. And then the context for what's happening in chapter 1 Philippians and for the rest of this, um, this book for what he's writing to. So he's writing to this while he's in prison in Rome. So this is around 60 to 62 uh, AD, around in that time. Not really for sure, but it's estimated in between that time. And so Paul knows that his execution is going to be coming any day. And, this, and yet this letter is filled with rejoicing. And it is also interesting to note that the emperor at this time, the Caesar at this time, was Nero. And if you know any lick of history, Nero was not happy to, against Christians. He did not like any form of Christianity. He hated Christianity. He did anything in his power to bring it down. He, he blamed fire in Rome on the Christians, and he did all these other things. He, he was persecuted Christians. So he is this man who just hates Christians. So all the Roman, all the people in the Roman army know that they have to appease Nero, so they have to carry out his persecution. So it's a terrible time to be a Christian in this empire. And yet Paul is writing to the Philippian church, telling them, be encouraged, be rejoicing in the Lord. Know that this is not the end, that we have more to gain. So keep suffering, keep trudging along in, your, in the power of the Lord, because there's more to life than just what we have right here. So yeah, and he has all the rights to complain. Paul has every single right to complain. He's faced every single terrible thing that could possibly happen in one's life, and yet he's being rejoice, rejoicing, and he's being happy in this time. So starting in chapter 1, in verses 1 and 2, it says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from, our, from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul, he's writing this letter in the Philippian jail, and it's also Timothy. It says, Paul and Timothy, through servants of Christ Jesus. So Timothy, is this, he's kind of bring, he takes the letter and he brings it, brings it to the Philippian church. He's kind of the message giver. He kind of brings, he takes the letter and he delivers it to them. He's the mailman, as, in a sense. And Paul is writing this, this letter to them because he can't leave his, his imprisonment, but Timothy can. Timothy can go to and from Paul. So he takes the letter and he delivers it to the Philippian church. And he knows that they're all servants of Christ Jesus, of our Lord. And we are all servants of Christ Jesus, of our, of our Lord. And so he's writing to all the Christians in, in Philippi. Because it says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. So he's writing to all the Christians in Philippi, all the people in the church in Philippi. And it's also applying to us. It also applies to us today. Because these are still things that we can still apply to our lives today. And there's also the overseers and the deacons. So the overseer is sort of the bishop of the time. So that would be Pastor John in our church right now. The overseer, he, they look over the things. The, the overseer looks over what happens. They give, you know, the whole gist, right? And then the deacons are those who serve in the church. So those who just do the things around, they decorate the church. You know, they're worship leaders. They do children's ministry and all that stuff. And we are also a part of the ministry Every single Christian is a part of the ministry. Every single time you walk outside of the church doors, you're, part, you're bringing the word to, of the Lord to people. You're being a minister to the people. Every single day is a mission field because you don't know who's an unbeliever out there. So it's always good to think of every single day, every time you go out of your house, this is a mission field. This is a mission field. I need to go out 
I just, I, need, I just need to preach, I need to give the love of Jesus to people. I need to preach the gospel to other people, however that may be, as long as you're getting the gospel out there, because every day is a mission field. And so, going on in verse 2, it says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul right here is acknowledging that only grace and peace come from our Lord. Only peace and grace can come from, from God above, because nothing in this world can give anything of relevance or semblance of it except for, except for the Lord. Only the Lord can give us peace and grace. So going on in verses 3, three to 6, it says this, I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all may, all, sorry, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will, in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So in verse 3, Paul, he remembers those of those who are in Philippi with him. He, he gives thanks to God that he was brought there to Philippi to be able to preach the gospel. He, he remembers Lydia and all the people, all the people that gave him just a welcome, welcoming arms to him. They gave him a warming welcome to him. He remembers them. And every time he remembers them, it gives him a joy. He's like, oh, I remember those people. And there's people in your life. There's people in my life that I remember. I'm like, oh, that guy. Yeah, what a great guy. I remember that guy. He just gives me so much joy. When I think of that person, when I think of those people, it just brings me a joy. So that's what's happening to Paul here. He's, and he's thanking God in remembrance of them. He's, he thanks God, like, thank you, God, that I was able to meet these people once in my life. And we meet people, and we just thank, thank God for those moments. And that could be someone who saved you, who brought you to, to Christ Jesus, or it might be someone who's just a great mentor to you. I don't know, whoever it is. Thank the Lord that they brought you in, into that person's life and that you're able to be with them and fellowship with them. And so he, Paul also prays with joy in verse 4. He says, Always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer, make, making my prayer with joy. He, he prays with joy to the Philippians, even in the jail. He's praying with joy because he, he's remembering them. He remember, remembers them with joy, and he prays for them to continue to be joyful. He prays for them to continue to be in the gospel, to continue to be with Jesus, to continue to preach the gospel and be powerful and emboldened in the gospel. And so he's, he's, he's praying with joy even in the jail. He's reminiscing about the time that he was with them. And so the Philippians also had the great ability to spread the gospel with a partnership with Paul in order to help. And that goes on in verse 5, because it says, and it says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul is saying, you guys had a great partnership with me. You, you, you guys accepted the gospel with open arms. And you have this great a, a partnership to be able to accept the gospel. You have an open heart. You have this ability to receive the gospel with open arms. And so that's what, that's what we should all be like. We should all have the ability to have the to be able to spread the gospel, whether you, whether or not you're able to, whether or not you're able bodied or not, we all have the ability to preach the gospel in some way or form. It's just a matter of how you do it, right? And so God also starts a good work in the Philippians that would be completed by God. So Paul, he knows, he knows that he started a good work in the Philippians, right? Lydia gets converted. And, the, and people in Philippi get converted. So God started a good work then, and he's continuing to work in it. And then it's going to be completed at some point. And that's, that work that will be completed could be the second coming of Christ. When he comes again, he sets up his kingdom. And then it will be fully and completely fulfilled. And he started a good work, and he, still, and he started a good work in us, right? 
when we came to Christ and we believed in him, he started a good work in us and it's going to be fulfilled when that day comes when Jesus Christ comes back again. Amen? So going on verses 7 and 8, it says this. Uh, it is right for me to feel this way, feel this way about you all because I hold in my heart, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for, for you all with, with the affection of Christ Jesus. So Paul knows of how the Philippians helped him and how they're continuing to spread the gospel. And they know that God is, is his witness, how the people have, they have a heart for, for God. They have a heart to be able to, they, they have a receptive heart to be able to receive what God is giving to them. And he, he knows how much they're in partnership with just being able to spread the gospel. And if, and there's people in Newburgh and there's people all across the United States, across the world that want to be in partnership with other believ- believers to be able to spread the gospel. They want the gospel to be spread to all people to the ends of the, to the ends of the earth is what Jesus commands us to do. He, pre- he commands us to preach the gospel to the ends of the, to the ends of the earth. And the Philippians definitely honored that. They went out and they were being in partnership with Paul. They agreed with him. They, they agreed, yes, we will help f- fulfill the great commandment or the, the great commission, sorry, to be able to go out into the ends of the earth and to fulfill that. Going on in verses 9 and 11, it says this, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of to the praise to the glory and praise of God. So Paul he prays that they continue to show their love which wasn't blind because it says in verse 9 and it and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. He's saying that their love isn't blind. Their love isn't just a blind love that's just like, "Oh, well, I just need to love I just need to love you." Well, it's okay if you do this and that this person is you know, nowadays, like for example, you see someone shooting up heroin in them. It, it's not love to just leave them acro- on the side and just be like, well, it's what they want to do. It's love to go up to them and tell them that it's wrong, just to save them from those things. That's the type of love that the Philippians had. They had knowledge and discernment to know what is good and what is evil. And they know to love the sinner, but to hate the sin. That's what, that's what the Philippians were able to do. That's the type of love that we give. We have to hate the sin because sin is not from God, but we have to love the sinner. Oh, excuse me. Sorry about that. But the sinner is from God. God, we are all created in God's image, right? We are the imago Dei of God's image. We are all created in his image. So love the person, love who the person at heart, but hate the sin, hate the sin that they are doing and command and tell them to repent, repent of their ways, turn to Jesus. Cause man, it is so much better to live in fellowship with God. It is so much better to live in fellowship with God than to live in the depths and dead of sin. Because the world is a is an aching, dying place that is fading out, but Jesus' kingdom is eternal. It's forever. Amen? So live out every single day like it's the last day that you will face on this earth. Live out every every single day just living like that. Living like, the, expecting the Lord to come. Expecting the Lord to come. Being able to preach the gospel to other people. Just be able to tell them, look, any day now, any day now, and I don't, and today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. It is not tomorrow. It is not a week from now. It's not a month from now because we do not know the time or the hour that God's coming back. So today is the day of salvation. Accept the Lord if you haven't. If you haven't, there's, God is calling you to come to you, come back to him. God is calling you to come in fellowship with him, to believe 
in him. So fall into God's love. And also we are called to be excellent or to be sincere, to be genuine about what we do. And we're also to hold true the pure things, the pure things of the world. God gave us pure things. God gave us the things that are good. Hold on to those good things. Hold on to the good things that God has given you. And hold on to those pure things and be sincere about them. Be sincere with other people. Be genuine with other people. Be able to understand what other people are going through. To be able to reach them, whatever, however that may be, right? And so we obtain the fruits of the Spirit. And also, yeah, we obtain the fruits of the Spirit by following Christ. Because it says in verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus. Paul is acknowledging that only the good things that that are the good things, the good characteristics that we have only come from the Lord. Jesus had every single good good thing. He had all the fruits of the Spirit that you could imagine. Some of us, we, we have excellent parts of it. We have excellent patience, but we're lacking in, I don't know, what's, give me, give me a fruit of the Spirit. I'm trying to think. Anyone? Gentleness. gentleness. You're lacking in gentleness. You know, it's things like that. But Jesus was, he had all of them. He had all the maxed out. He, he was maxed out in all the fruits of the Spirit. So be, know that all the good things come from the Lord Jesus Christ. Ha, be able to acknowledge those, all the, the weaknesses. Examine your heart of the things that you're lacking, the fruits that you're lacking in, to be able to reach these people, right? So going on in verses 12 through 14, it says this, I want, I want you to know, brothers, that this has happened to me, that, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that, ha- so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ and that and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so Paul, ironically, his pri- imprisonment, the Romans thought, oh, if he's in prison, he's not going to be able to preach the gospel. There we go. We got him. We got him. Finally this time. But Paul is saying, no, ironically, it's actually helped the advancement of the gospel because now I can preach to the, the Roman soldiers who are carrying out the persecution. It also says the imperial guard. And if you know anything about the Romans, this was the Praetorian, Praetorian guard. And the Praetorian guard are very, very, very corrupt. They would take bribes to be able to execute certain senators or they'd execute uh, Caesar's a corrupt guard of people. They, they, they would take bribes and they were not, to say the very least, not the highest standard of uh, excellence that you could imagine. But Paul is saying here, I, I have the ability to be able to preach the gospel to these Roman guards. I have the ability to preach even to the king's guard, which were, were the protectors of Nero. Nero, the terrible emperor that he was against Christians. He could even preach to the, those in the imperial guard and the imperial guard would then go and protect Nero. Who knows? Because Paul didn't know. Obviously, Nero didn't come to the Lord. But still, that, that, that thought of like maybe there's a chance that we could bring him to the Lord. There's a chance that we have to be able to bring Nero into fellowship with the Lord. So that's what Paul is saying here, that his imprisonment has actually been towards the advancement of the gospel. The gospel has been advanced because I am now preaching to those who are persecuting us. And so, so yeah, and he tells us also to be more bold to speak without fear. He tells us to, he, he, Paul is in the presence of all these Roman soldiers who could lob off his head at any moment. They have swords, they have spears, whatever they, they might have. They have the ability to lob his head off at any moment in time. And Nero wouldn't care. He wouldn't care. He wouldn't care to give Paul a righteous and good, perfect court, court trial. He, he doesn't care. Paul want, he, Nero wanted Paul to be executed no matter what. And so Paul's saying, just be bold. Speak without fear because we have the power of the Lord. What, 
who can face us? Who can face us, right? No one can face us except for, except for, except for God. God is over all things. Even the kings of the world cannot face the mighty power of God. They stand no chance. So be bold. Be emboldened by your faith. Go out and just be able to speak without fear and knowing that God's got this. God, God is guiding my words and he's going to be able to hit the heart. He's gonna, his his uh, Hebrews, is, his word is like a sword. It pierces through the division of sword and spirit, of joint and of marrow. God's word pierces to our hearts, right? It pierces because we know God is real. We know everyone deep down in our hearts, we know that God is real, that Jesus is Lord, right? And so when his word gets preached to us, it pierces to our hearts because we know that his word is real and it convicts us of the things that we've done wrong. And we know that we have to repent to turn back to Christ because we know that we were once made in covenant with God. We were made to be with God in the Garden of Eden, but then sin came to the world and it split us. It split us away from God, but then Jesus comes in and he fills that void and that word just pierces to our hearts and we can be able to accept the Lord. Amen? Going on verses 15 through 18, it says this, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am, I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and that in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. So Paul, in verse 15, he's saying here, it's very interesting, because it says, somebody preached Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. So Paul knew that there were those who were preaching the gospel out of their own selfish ambition. They wanted to preach the gospel to bring it to their image. They, want, they didn't preach the gospel for the, the glory of Christ. They wanted to preach it for the glory of themselves. And so when Paul goes into prison, prison there's some people that are like, yes, sorry, I, a, lot, a clap is a little loud. I startled some people. They're like, oh boy, yes, Paul's gone. I can finally, I can finally take the big stage now. I can take the big stage and I'm able to take the main, main part. So like when someone, when the main pastor of the church leaves a small little town, then someone can like, yes, I finally got the, I, I got the role. So that's what Paul's kind of saying right here is the envy and there's rivalry. Like, yes, I finally have the, the power and I have the, I'm the top dog in the town. I'm the top dog in the city, right? And so, and so, yeah, and some, and yeah, people were happy that Paul, Paul was in prison. They were happy that he was in prison because they saw him as a rival and they saw him with envy, which can be either a good thing or a bad thing, whichever way you think of it. Like, oh man, like in sports, you have your, your rivals that, you know, they, they make you better. Like in practice on your team, you have your own, at least for me when I was playing, I had my rivals of like, this guy's better than me. I need to beat him in practice. I need to be better than him, right? But, it can also be taken in a bad way, like right here, where it's, he's gone, he's off the stage, I can take that for myself, That's, I can use this for my glory, but Paul's saying, no, use it for the glory of Christ. You are put, some people are put on the big stage to bring the glory to Christ, not to the glory of themselves, right? But he also knew that there are others who are being genuine about the preaching, there are others who are doing it, it says, from goodwill, they do it from the goodwill of their hearts. They do it from the goodwill of, of their hearts. That they go out and they, they, and they, they do it just because they, they want to do it. They want to do it not for themselves, but they want to do it for the glory of Christ. They want to bring glory to Christ and Christ alone. And they go out and they preach the gospel, not for themselves, but they do it out of a good heart because they want to save people. They want to see everyone in communion and fellowship in heaven when we get there and when that day comes. 
man, what a glorious day it will be. And so Paul knew also that he, God had had him in prison to be able to defend the gospel. So Paul is using apologetics, if you know what that is. He's using these, he, Paul, God has him here to defend the gospel. He's in a very hostile area. He's in Rome, very anti-Christian, with the Roman guards, with Nero, very hostile. And yet God put him here to defend the gospel, to bring, to give a case out and say, hey, look, I am giving the case out and I'm defending the gospel because this is true. And if you don't accept this, then man, this is not going to be good for you. You don't want to face eternal damnation. I want you to be in heaven with Christ in fellowship, praising our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul, that's what God has him, God has Paul there and arguably one of the best defenders of the gospels of all time. And he's there giving a, cases to these, to the Roman guards and to the Praetorian guard and to other people who come to Paul, right? And so knowing that people would be motivated by Paul's imprisonment, ironically enough, he also still rejoices. Paul still rejoices in verse, in verse 18. It says, What then, only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, in that I rejoice. So he, even though he knows that some people are out there for selfish, selfish ambition, some people are out there for goodwill, he knows that, okay, it's bringing, Christ is bringing, being proclaimed. His truth is being made known to all people. His truth is being spoken to people that need to hear it, right? And so he still rejoices despite that. Even though people were celebrating him being in prison, he still rejoices. Well, at least they're motivated now to get out there and start preaching the gospel. At least they're motivated to not sit in their own town preaching the gospel. Now to go out to other towns and other cities to be able to preach the gospel, right? So going on in verses 19 and 20, it says this, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Christ, Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with courage, with full courage, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So Paul, is, he knows that the people of Philippi are praying for him. He, know, he, could, he knew that the Holy Spirit with the Holy Spirit in him, that they, they, the people of Philippi were also praying for his deliverance. Paul knew that his deliverance would potentially come. And that he knew that they were praying for him and that they were praying for his, just several things, but mainly for him to be delivered out of the hands of the Romans, right? And we, and we, t- 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 no, excuse me, we today pray for other people. When someone gets hurt, like when Pastor John had his heart attack, we were praying for him, constantly praying for him. Lord, heal him. Lord, heal his heart. Lord, heal, heal his body. Get him out of the hospital. Deliver him from this test, right? We still pray for other people. We, we, go, to, we go to God and we pray, Lord, if there's any way, if it is your will, we ask, for, we ask for you just to heal us. We ask for you to stop whatever, whatever is happening, right? We, we have that ability now. We, we don't have to go to Jerusalem and sacrifice a lamb and then do all these steps to be able to then, okay, now, God, will, it be, will you be able to intercede for me? We, can, we now have Jesus as our intercessor. We pray with the Holy Spirit and with Jesus as that, that priest, that connection between us and God that our prayer reaches God. No matter where we are, we don't have to go to a confessions table. We don't have to go to a certain person. We don't have to go to a church to pray. We can pray anywhere at any time. And one thing that my dad taught me was that anytime a name pops in your mind, anytime someone's name pops in your mind, just pray for them. Just pray for them. No matter where it is, even if you're on the road, if you're just sitting doing nothing, if that name comes to mind, just start praying for that person. Who knows? Because exactly what was happening 
Paul, Paul got the Macedonian call. There's a vision. And Paul immediately went. He immediately went to Macedonia. Because he knew that God was calling him to go there. And if, an, if that name or if something pops in your mind, just pray for it. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. And just speak out to God. Because if you don't pray, then who knows what might, what might happen. So we, we, we have that ability to pray. Pray for those just who come into your mind. Just pray constantly for other people, right? And then... And Paul also knew that God was in control. Paul knew that despite this, God's hand was in, in, in this. Despite him being in prison, despite him being in the hands of Rome, Paul knew, that, okay, I, God's hand is, is still in control. God is still in control of this. God's not out of control. Oh, no, Paul's in prison. What are we going to do, right? God has it all under control. And this world is, rest- is restricted. God's hand is on the world right now. His hand is on the world right now. And there will be a time that will come when God's going to release his hand from this earth, right? We're going to be delivered up into, into heaven. And sin is going to let, let loose. It's going to let loose. Seven years of tribulation, right? But right now, sin is being restricted. And if this world is restricted sin, man, oh man. <laughs> man, oh man. What might happen when that time comes? Because that's going to be bad. It's going to be real bad. Satan's going to have full... Not kind of control, but because God still is, I'm not really entirely positive, but he's going to let his evil out. He's going to be able to send out all of his evil minions and let his evil doings go out on the earth. But God, we know that God wins in the end, right? God wins in the end. We're going to be in communion with him. We're going to be in the new heaven, new earth with Jesus, right? It's going to be a glorious, it's going to be a great time, and I cannot wait for that time. But right now, we are called to be here. We are called to preach the gospel. We are called to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth to all people, no matter what it is. So be faithful right now. Be hopeful of when God is going to bring Jesus back again. Because no man knows the time or the hour. Right? So be motivated by that. Have, have encouragement from that. Know that God is coming again. And that God is in control right now. God is in control of every situation that you go through right now. If you're going through a test or a trial, God is in control of it. Right? God has it all under his hand. He has it all he has the whole world in his hands. That song, right? He's got the whole world in his hands, right? And so Paul knows that by faith, he would also be used to glorify God and that he would not be ashamed of God, but he would have courage from him, right? In verse 20, he says, "Is my eager expectation hope that I will not be ashamed, that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So Paul knows that with his faith, he's going to be used to glorify God. Even if he dies, he's going to be used to glorify God, right? And he has that courage from God. He has, he's being encouraged by God that, okay, I'm here for a reason. I know that I'm here. I'm going to use it for the glory of God, right? Anyways, going on verses 21 through 26. It says this. For no, for to me, for, yeah, sorry, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am a hard press between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory 
It may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So we have the hope that when we die, we will be in eternity with Christ because we, did, we believe that Jesus saved us from our sins and we repented of our sins and we believe that Jesus died and rose again, right? We believe that Jesus is Lord. So we have that hope that we will be in eternity with Christ. Because it says in verse 21, it says, For, for, to, me is to, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So when we die, when we, die we gain more. Ironically enough, when we die, we gain as Christians. But when the unbeliever dies, they lose. They lose out more. This is the best heaven that they're going to get on this earth. This is the worst hell that we're going to face. Man, that's, you don't want to see other people face hell. It is a terrible, terrible place. And if anything, I want you to be encouraged when you just think about hell. It's just an awful place to go out to other people and just to be able to reach them some way possible, just to be able to preach the gospel to them, to hopefully plant that seed in their heart and so that it grows. Because it's the worst place to be. This is the worst hell that we're going to face, but it's the best heaven that they're going to get. So if, you, if just thinking of, that, of, of it in that sense, in that way, being able to go out and preach the gospel to those people, because, man, they need it. The world needs it today. The world needs Jesus, right? The world needs healing. And there are people out there who are lost. There are people out there who are defeated, and they, they have no hope. But Jesus gives hope. God gives us hope. God gives us hope for the future, right? So be encouraged by that. And for right now, because we are living right now, be encouraged. Live for Christ right now. Paul says, for, for, to, live, for to me to live is Christ. So right now we are living for Christ. Live for Christ right now. Live for what he has for us right now. Whatever he has called you to do, whether it's to go to Kenya with, with Chuck and them, go to Kenya. If that's what God is calling you to do. If God is calling you to go to the Philippines, wherever it is. If God is calling you to go to Dundee, right? Wherever it is, in Oregon, cross the nation in New York, wherever God is calling you to go, obey the call. Because right now, you have to live for Christ. To live to Christ is now. And then when we die, we gain. Our treasures are going to be laid up in heaven, right? You want to be welcomed to heaven. Well done, my good and faithful servant. I can, I, I, those are the words I want to hear, not, I don't want to hear, be gone, I never knew you. Those are the words that you don't want to hear. Those are the words you don't want to hear. You want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Obey Christ. Honor what he is calling you to do. Honor what God is calling you to do. Whatever it may be, honor, honor God's call. Amen? Where was I? Goodness. <laughs> uh, so even if Paul would live, he would still produce a fruit. The Spirit says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor to me. Yet, yet which I still cannot, I shall choose, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. So Paul is, even if he's living, he's still producing the fruit. He's still producing fruit in his life. He's producing the fruit of his labor to preach the gospel, to suffer for the gospel, to give the gospel to other people. So even, even though we suffer, even though we go through these trials, we're still being fruitful because God is giving us the fruits to be able to go through these things. We have fruitful labor. We produce these fruits, right? Because in James it says, faith without works is dead. With our faith, the good works come. That's all it is. It's not our works and then faith. It's faith and then the works just automatically come with our faith, right? Our works automatically come and it's not because we are saved by our works, because we are saved by our faith that we want to give good works to other people. We want to show the, the good works that Christ did when he was alive and that we show those good works that Christ did to other people and so that they might believe in Christ Jesus. And so 
It's fruitful labor. Know that every single time that you suffer, every single time you go through these trials, that fruits are going to come out of it. Fruits are going to be able to blossom out of it. You're, you're going to blossom out of these trials. And so, yeah, and then in verses 23 and 24, Paul, he's torn. It says, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So Paul is split between the two. He knows his time is coming. He is in prison in Rome any time they could lop off his head, any time they could execute him, any time they could torture him. It does not matter. Paul knows. Paul knows this. Any time they could just grab him and be like, well, you're done, right? So he knows that his time is coming, but he's still split between the two because he wants to be in communion. He wants to be in heaven with Christ. But at the same time, he wants to be here on earth with the, to be able to continue to guide the Philippians in their church, to guide the churches and the, how they and how they work and how they administer the gospel and all these things. So it's it's this tearing between the two. So, but Paul is still called to be on the earth right now. At that time, he was still called to be on earth. His time had not come yet. Our times have not come yet. Don't get me wrong. I can't wait to be in heaven. I can't wait to be in communion with Christ. That's going to be a great time. But right now, God is calling me to be here in Newburgh, Oregon, right? God is calling you to be here on this earth right now. Obey, obey the call. Obey what God is calling you to do. If you obey the, the call that God is going to call, calling you to do, man, you're, it's going to be good because he's going to welcome you again with open arms, right? So obey the call. Obey what God has called you to do. And because then you're, you're going to be welcoming a new because pe- then you're going to be bringing in new people into heaven. Like, look at this great thing, right? It's not that opportunity that you get from your friend from, you know, 40 years ago. I have this great opportunity, right? This great opportunity. It's going to, you're going to get rich super quick, right? It's not like that. It's this opportunity. You're going to get rich for eternity. You're going to be rich for eternity because you're going to be in heaven with Christ. This is a, this is a, this is not a pyramid scheme, right? This is a, this is the greatest thing of all time. This is the greatest. This is a, the free gift that you get from this, and yet it is the greatest gift of all time. Amen. Obey the call. Remain in the flesh, because right now we are called to be here. Right now. And also, it, Paul uses when he says he has a desire to be with Christ. The the word, the usage that it was used in that time, the Greek, it was like I want to die. That's what Paul was feeling. I want to die. He was dreading. He had a desire of like, I want to be with Christ so bad that I could die right now and I'd be so happy because I'd be in communion with Christ. I'd be in heaven with Christ right now. He had this desire, but at the same time, he knew God still has me here. He still has me on this earth for a reason. It's still not my time. It could come at any time, but it is not my time yet. So Paul is being obedient to Christ. He's saying, okay, it's not yet. I'm going to continue to preach the gospel no matter what, right? So despite this desire, he still knew that there was work to be done. And so in going on in verses 25 and 26, it says this, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory, to glory in Christ because of my coming to you again. He knows that he, if he remains, that he will, it will still be to bring glory to Christ. It will still bring glory, glory to God. It will still bring glory to Jesus. And it says, because of my coming to you again. Paul, no, this could be taken either way. He could either go back to them in person or he could go back 
or he could meet with them again when, he, when they go to heaven. Where they're, they're in heaven again, and they meet once again in heaven with one another. If you have a loved one, you're going to be able to meet them back in heaven again, right? We're going to be in communion, because right now we're just renting our time on earth. We're, we're renting our time with our bodies here, but our eternal souls are going to be in heaven with Christ, and we're going to be able to have that time, and it's going to be a great time. I can't tell you what heaven is like, but all I know is going to be glorious, and I cannot wait for that day. We're going to see the people that we missed so much out on. We, we're going to see people that just new people and just we're going to be able to unite together with one body knowing that Christ is Lord and that God is King. Amen. So these last three verses in verses 27 and 30 are kind of the closing statements that Paul kind of gives. And for right now, the closing statements, but they're very interesting statements and they're, they're good statements for the church to be emboldened. So it's these verses... These last three verses, I call it the in absence of Paul, in Paul's absence of what they are to do. So in verse 27, it says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So Paul is calling for the people of Philippi, to have a manner of life, to be citizens of God. We are also called to be citizens of God. We are also called to be citizens of God because we know that our, our citizenship is also here, but is also in heaven. We, we have a United States citizenship, right? We also have a citizenship in heaven. We have our eternal citizenship. So be able to be those citizens of heaven, be able to have that citizenship of heaven, have that knowing that you will be, have that, you know what I'm trying to get, that citizenship, right? Like, I am a child of God. I am someone from God. I am going to be in God's kingdom, right? I'm going to travel there when I die, right? So have that uh, citizen mindset, a kingdom mindset, right? So he also tells us the second point. He says to know that God sees what they do. God sees what all of us do. God is seeing what our church is doing. God is seeing what you do in your own life. and And know that. God is watching what you are doing, whether good or bad. He is watching every single movement. He is seeing every single hair follicle in your head, on your face, on your body, whatever it is. He knows every single intricate detail of your body that only God knows. I don't know every hair follicle on my body. That's near impossible for me, but God knows, right? So know that God is seeing what we do. And he also tells them to stay together as one church body, united to preach the gospel. We are one church united under Jesus Christ, right? We may have our disagreements on theology and other stuff, but one thing we are united on, the Trinity, and that Jesus is Lord, right? We are united as brothers and sisters of Christ. We are united as that one body. We are, the church is meant to be a body together. The whole church, the Catholic, not Roman Catholic church, but the Catholic, which is universal. We are a universal church. Every Christian is part of the universal church. We have our own individual churches, but we are all part of one whole church, those who believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. We are all a part of that church. So know that and, and just be united with, with, the, with Christians, even though we do have our disagreements, right? We do have heavy disagreements, right? But we still know that we are in unity with Christ. We are, they are still our brothers and sisters in Christ. We, even though the, you know, one might be uh, Anglican, one might be Orthodox, we still know that they are brothers and sisters in Christ. So know that and be encouraged by that. And going on verses 28, I, this, this is a part where I call be bold. So in verse 28 says this, 
and not frightened in anything by your opponents. That is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. And that is from God. So Paul is telling us, be bold. Do not be frightened of anything. Don't be frightened of our opponents. Don't be frightened of the things that the world comes at you, right? Because they know that the God, that the word, the word is true. They know that the word is true. Even the demons, the demons flee at the sound of the, of the scripture of the Lord. They flee at, at when, whenever the truth is preached. They flee whenever the truth is being proclaimed. Because they know that this is true. Even the demons know that this is true. And if the demons know that this is true, how much more should we preach the gospel to everyone else? Because man, this word brings power and truth. The demons, they come and they twist it just a little bit. They just tweak it just a tad bit. They tweak it just a tad bit to where it sounds right, but at the same time, it doesn't sound right. So be bold to preach the truth. Don't tweak anything of God's word, but be bold to preach what God says. Every single word in this book is God's, is God's word. And hold to that. Hold to that and know that it is true. Be bold in, in Christ. And our boldness shows our, our adversaries. It shows our opponents our assurance of our faith. We know that we, that we have Christ. If we show any form of weakness, then they might see, oh, maybe, if, maybe, maybe it's not true. But if we are bold in it, we, we stand firm on it, then they might be like, well, maybe this is true. Maybe this is true. Maybe they, they, their assurance of salvation is so strong that they are willing to die the worst death possible and that they will still hold true to that. No matter what form of torture we might face, if we stand firm and hold firm with the boldness, man, that can preach to many people. And there's so many stories of people going to, other pla- going to tribal islands and being killed and yet they all come, and that, that, that those tribal people, they see how bold those people were and how much they still show love to the people that attacked them. That they showed the love of Jesus Christ to them and that they eventually turned, turned their ways and they repented of their sin. They believed in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Even those things, even... Now, I'm not saying all of us are going to die a horrible, terrible death, right? But... But be bold, be bold of Christ, uh, be bold in what he says, be bold, his word is true, that people might think wrong, that people might think of things of, of us, well, that guy's just weird, why is he out in the cold, rainy, stormy wind preaching the gospel to this random person on the street, right? But be bold in it, be bold and know that our assurance of salvation comes from God. And so in verses 29 and 30, it says, we suffer, I call this, we suffer for Christ. For it is to be granted, starting in verse 29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you and I had saw, that you had saw I had, and now, now here that I still have. So Paul, in the end, he's saying like, look, you saw that I suffered in Philippi and I'm suffering now. We suffer as Christians. Many of us have suffered in some way or form. Now, not to the, maybe not to the degree of Paul, what he suffered like, but well, we've suffered in our lives. Many of us have. All of us have. There's no person in this world that has not suffered, right? In some way or form, we've all suffered. But if we, when we suffer, we suffer for Christ. We, Christ suffered the worst death. He su- suffered the worst death possible. He suffered for us that we might have eternal life with him. He suffered for us so that we, that he would, so that we would be forgiven of our sin, right? Be bold in that. Know that our suffering is only temporary. It's only for a temporary time. So be bold in that and know that Christ is Lord and be engaged in the same conflict against evil and hold strong, hold strong to the, hold strong to the faith 
for the advancement of the gospel. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this time of worship. We thank you for this time of fellowship with one another. We thank you that we get to come here and gather in your word. And we thank you just for your word that you've given us today, Lord. We thank you that even though we suffer right now, that we are that when we get welcomed to heaven, that we are welcomed with, well done, my good and faithful servant. We are welcomed with the arms of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Lord, we thank you so much for all that you've given for us, Lord. We thank you that you died and suffered on the cross for our sins so that we might be saved, Lord. We thank you for all that you do for us. And Lord, we lift up all the prayers that this congregation has. And for all those online, we lift up all their prayers. And Lord, we also lift up the earthquakes in Syria and Turkey, Lord. We pray for those who have been injured and hurt and all the suffering that's going on over there, Lord. That, we, that you might show your hand, you might show miracles, and that you, might, that you will show just how great you are through that, even though this is a time of pain and suffering for them, Lord, that you show how great you are through that, and that there is healing, and that those people get saved, uh, and that they are just welcomed into your arms, Lord. And we pray for anyone in this congregation, Lord, and just for healing, and just for that everyone stays walking with you in all that we do, Lord. Help us to stand, stand firm on your word. Help us to walk with you in all that we do. We pray that we are walking in your word and that we are talking about you and that we're just talking with you in all that we do. We thank you for this time. We just pray for everything to go well for today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.